Hey, good morning. Welcome to church. How are you? Happy Easter. Happy Easter to all of you, especially those who get drug in every single year by your mom. And you know she'll be so mad if you don't go. I am so excited you are begrudgingly here right now. Thank you so much. Listen, Kesset is a place for people who are spiritually curious and even people who get uh, shame-based led by their mothers to be here. So you're, you're, you're in the right spot. Uh, my name's Danny, and I'm going to be sharing with you just a little bit today. We are going to go on a little bit of a journey this particular Easter. We're going to talk about the road that, that, uh, that brought you to here today. In a room like this, with this many people, it's impossible for me to to try to find all the specific parts of your story that should be spoken to. So what I do throughout the week and what the team does throughout the week is we pray for you. We pray for uh, this message. We pray for this, uh, the, the worship that you just heard, that, that, that God would do what only God can do and that he would meet you right where you are and recognize many of the things in your life that have brought you here today. And that goes for people watching online or even people watching a year from now if they start to restream this service. Wherever you are in your space, that's where I'm going to ask you to be today as we talk about the Easter story. Because here's the deal. We celebrate the gospel story or the good news. And that is basically the story of Jesus uh, being crucified on Good Friday and then uh, resurrected on Easter morning, on, on Sunday morning is, how, is where we celebrate it. And the idea that he overcame death and that he provided a way for all of us to find the more that we ultimately are looking for. We're also launching a series called The Theory of More, and that's what we're going to be talking about for the next six or seven weeks. And so uh, I'll be here next week if you want to come back, and we're going to continue on. But I think it's going to be really interesting, especially for people who uh, have a problem with church or have a problem with God or, better yet, don't even believe in God. Uh, this series, I think, specifically for you will be... a It'll be encouraging. It'll be a space where you can come and, and ask questions and maybe even find some answers. So that's what we're going to do. Amen? Okay. So to do it, what I need you to do is be authentic about where you're at on your road to here. That means that uh, for the church folks in the room, I need you to take off your church masks for a second, fold them up, put them down between, uh, you know, between you and the person next to you, and just be authentic about your own spirituality. For people who don't believe in God, or you're just here, as, you, as I said, because your, your mom made you come, uh, I want you to just uh, take off your universe mask, whatever you put into the universe, in order for your world to work. Or maybe you don't believe in any of those things, so just put off your, your atheist mask, or your agnostic mask, or whatever your mask is, and just be a human being in the room with other human beings. And you think about you, not the person next to you that needs this message more than you do. That's another way people do. They're like, I'm going to be real. I'm going to be authentic. I just hope she is. <laughs> That's how it works all the time. That's not what you're going to do. You're here for you. This is the prayer. You're here for you, but you've got to come with all your stuff. You've got to not church it up. You've got to not try to make it slick. You just be you as you are in your space with your angst, with your anxiety, with your depression, with your addiction, with your joy, with your happiness, with your this is the best day ever and your meh, you just bring it all. And I believe that if you can be authentic about that, then this Easter story might just have more of an impact on your life than you expected. Whether you are a hardcore church every week believer, 
or you're somebody who hasn't been to church in 10 years and you cannot even believe you're here right now. Either one, we can live within that tension. What we can't live in is you pretending you're somewhere else or that you don't have any stuff because then that would make you like a cardboard cutout and that's not very real or authentic. So let's stay where we are. I'm gonna read the Easter story to you, but before I do, I wanna tell you about the people and the road to here that we're about to read about. Uh, there's two primary groups of people, and then there's a third that we're gonna sit in uh, inside this Easter story. The first is a group of women that uh, have been following Jesus for three or four years now. And in this culture, they are doing all the things that they are supposed to do to worship God, to be the people they've called him to be. And one of the things we're gonna read about that they are going to do in this culture, since Jesus is crucified and they know not yet that he's raised, they are going to prepare, sadly, his lifeless body. They are going to bring spices, they are going to bring cloth, and they are gonna prepare him with great love for who he was to them, and with great grief that he didn't end up being the person he said he was. That's the first group we're gonna read about. The next group is a group of men, 11 of them. These are the disciples of Jesus. They are the ones who have been leading. These are the ones who have been manning the, uh, the post. These are the ones who have been in this culture doing the things they were supposed to do. And then Jesus went up and got himself killed. And that's a hard movement to like maintain when the guy who said he's going to bring life dies. So they're hiding in an upper room, grieving the fact that they bet their life on the wrong horse. It's a bad investment. They led their families here. They led their, their communities here and they're trying to figure out what to do next. And in the midst of that story, Jesus becomes alive. And then there's a third group, and that's the group that I'm not going to tell you about because that's the group that's going to set up the context for the rest of the message. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 24 if you have a Bible. If not, verses are on the screen. Listen for the first two groups, the group of women and the disciples, and ponder your own place on your own road to here. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Now, a story like this, as I said, for it to really be effective as it's meant to be, you have to be honest where you're at, and you have to recognize what the story is trying to sell you. What it's trying to tell you is that there is someone who came and defeated life, and that a group of people were completely taken 
aback by his presence. They didn't know where his body went. They didn't know how it meant for them and what it meant for their stories. All they knew is where they were and the fact that Jesus was no longer where they thought he was. So let me just say this in the room right now. Wherever you think Jesus is, whether you have followed him for your entire life or you don't even, you don't, you, all you believe is he's a historical figure, I can promise you he is not where you have put him. Period. He's not in a box that you've created. He's not in a space that you've carved away. Even with your greatest spiritual discipline, you could not box in Jesus, the Messiah, the one who came with the good news of overcoming death and sin. You can't do it. And yet a lot of us, I think that's what we think we actually do. We go to church, we learn about him, we put a collar around Jesus, and then we walk him around the park of our life showing everybody how well-trained our faith is. The problem is the only time you take him off the leash is when you're actually in the Jesus park where you can run with other Christians. <laughs> I could run this illustration way, way out. <laughs> but when you go to work, you put him back on the leash and you're like, heel boy, this is a business now. Or when you get into an argument with your wife, she's like, don't make me release Jesus. I will release Jesus on you. I will release him all over you. And either way, it's you in control of Jesus. He fits into your story. You don't fit into his. That's what these people are awakening to, that Jesus doesn't fit into their story, that the Bible's not about them. And that even though they could follow him for three and four years, and all of a sudden he's like, by the way, I'm gonna die. And they're like, Jesus, that's not in the narrative. That's not part of our business plan. And then he goes and dies, and they're like, can you believe this? He's left us. For three days, they're asking all these big, important questions about the movement until finally somebody's like, I think I'm gonna go like, show up. Well, Jesus isn't where they left him. Jesus is not where you left him. And that's why, by the way, you keep going back to that same spot and not getting anything fulfilling because where you left Jesus isn't where he lives. He is, and always will be, closer than you can ever imagine. He is already walking on and a part of your road to here. Today I want to show you how this very road to here that we are all pondering about is the exact space the gospel was meant to be experienced in. Where you're at right now is exactly where you're supposed to be. With all of the stuff you're dealing with, with all your church hurt, with all your angst, with all your frustration, even with all your secrets, Jesus can meet you and is going to meet you in that space. But you have to be honest. And you gotta pull down the boxes because that's just your excuse for why Jesus has let you down or your excuse for why church doesn't work because you've boxed it all in. And today, my hope is you leave here boxless. It's the same space the women on their way to the tomb experienced. Traveling there that morning as they asked with great sadness, is this even real? Is this even something, is this really happening? It's the space the disciples would have been in within that upper room, sitting with their heads in their hands, thinking, what am I supposed to do now? It's a beautiful space. But based on this story, it's actually not the only space that Jesus is about to show up to people. Instead, there's a third movement, a third portion of the story. And it actually doesn't have to do with the women who went to the tomb or the disciples who stayed in Jerusalem wondering what to do now. It has to do with a whole other group of people, two to be exact, that decided once Jesus died, they were out. It says there were two travelers and they were traveling back home. 
to a place called Emmaus. It says in the very next passage after the ones we just read, verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So remember, the women and the 11 disciples are all in the room. The women decide to go do something. They can't just wait here. The men decide probably to strategize and wait here. The women are like, action steps, let's get out there. And the men are like, let's just ponder for a second. Seems scary out there. But apparently there's two people, we don't know if it's two men or a man and a woman, but two people that decide, we've had enough. He promised us what he was gonna be, and he wasn't that. And so before Jesus' body is even resurrected, they've left town. They're returning home. And they're discussing intensely this Jesus who dropped the ball. In leaving Jerusalem, these disciples are perhaps the very first to fall away from the faith. And along the way, they are discussing the suffering and death of Jesus and, frankly, how it impacts them. And they're doing it with a lot of passion. As a matter of fact, uh, the word Luke uses for discussing actually translates to tossing words. They're arguing. They're arguing about what they're supposed to do now that Jesus has left them and hurt them. They most likely would have been trying to figure out the answers to the earlier questions. Is this even real and what are we to do now? The next verse says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. I don't, I don't, this is not my favorite picture of Jesus, by the way, because I don't know about you guys as a couple uh, or, as, or as friends even, but when you're in an argument, like with someone that you care about, or for instance, my wife and I, when we're in an argument, the worst thing someone can do is just walk up and like awkwardly enter jack themselves into whatever it is we're talking about because my wife loves it. She's like, oh, thank God. Yeah, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I was only the point two of my five point reasons why you were wrong. <laughs> Apparently Jesus is that guy, that awkward guy who you're walking along and he comes out of the, you know, the trees, I don't know, and you're like, well, let's go to this side of the road. That is not what Jesus said. That is too what Jesus said. And you're walking along and then Jesus just gets, he meanders closer and is like, there's plenty enough room here, bro, on the road for you to walk over there. Just slow down, just slow down. He'll slow down, he'll pass by. And Jesus is just like, hey, hey, what's up? Like, ah, I can't stand that. I'm like, we're having a discussion. Clearly you can read our faces and hand signals, but Jesus is like, no, I'm good. What are you guys talking about? Now these people know Jesus, but him being God, and I think to illustrate a point, keeps that from their eyes. And so he finally says to them, what's up? What's going on? And instead of them continuing to walk, they just stop and look sad. <laughs> I love, I, it's so human, it's so like real. Like it's not like they just went along and then they had a discussion and it's not all movied up. It's just normal people frustrated with their life and frankly paused in the midst of all they thought was going to happen. I don't know, I could be wrong, but I have a feeling in this room right now, a whole bunch of you have been paused for this sermon and you are 
instantly feeling that effect. And you're like, I really didn't want to be here, and I definitely didn't want to hear a message that had to do with me. And so can you just move along and stop awkwardly reminding me that I don't want to be here? And the answer is no. No, I can't. Mm -mm. You are paused emotionally, spiritually in your life, and it's okay to just be sad about it, to be frustrated about it. And to be honest about it, because that's exactly what these folks are about to pour forth to Christ next. Their sadness and their frustration. I want you to notice, by the way, that he didn't require them to change their emotional posture or even recognize who he was. He just met them as they were where they were. It's important. A lot of people think they got to perform in order to have a relationship with God. Apparently not. Apparently you can just leave the group first. Head back home and argue about what a loser Jesus is. And apparently he just rolls into that relationship and then it's like, hey, let's talk about what's going on here. You guys are pretty sure the first out of Jerusalem. So uh, what's up? What's going on? So Pleopas decides to answer them. And it's not very respectful if you add just a tiny bit of tone to it. (laughs) We don't read the Bible with enough tone. We need more tone in the Bible. Cleopas, Jesus says, what's up guys, what's going on? Cleopas says, then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? And whoever's with him is like, chill bro, this is just a stranger popped out of the woods. (laughs) And Jesus, I love this, because he doesn't lie, he doesn't say, no, I don't know, that would be a lie. He's God, he doesn't lie. He just cleverly asks, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, and then listen how he's described, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And then maybe there's a moment, and he knows there's more, and maybe the woman with him knows there's more, and then he says, and we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. I want you to take note that while talking about Jesus as they walk along, they no longer call him son of God or Messiah or the Christ. They've reduced him to the very smallest thing that they can have around him, and that is the name prophet. See, no one argues that Jesus is a historical figure. There's no one that says, well, he didn't exist or he wasn't crucified. What people argue about is whether he was the son of God and the defeater of death. And apparently, these two folks have already succumbed to the world's version of Jesus is that he was just a good guy doing the best he could. And so they make him small. They make him little. They are confessing their own doubts that Jesus was the Messiah. In other words, I'm going to put this on the screen for you. We thought Jesus would be more. This is where a lot of people in the room are at, especially those of us who followed him a long time. If you're really honest, and maybe your church mass only came down so far because you think God's going to come after you if you just say it, I'll say it, I'll go first. There are areas in my life where I thought Jesus would be more. Where I had expectations. When I planted this church, I'm just going to be honest, I thought Jesus would be more. I thought he would have made the first three or four years easy peasy. I know what I'm doing. He asked me to do this. I've been doing ministry for 20 some odd years. I already had 10 years under my belt when I started this thing. Hey, guess what? Jesus doesn't fit in my box and he doesn't plant churches like I do. 
He's way better at it, but it's way harder than I thought. I thought he'd be more. And I had to tell him that after a while. I thought, I thought you'd see my sacrifice. And he's like, mm, sacrifice? <laughs> it's really hard to come at Jesus with like, like any sort of like illustration of what you've done. You know, like, do you not see me down here doing the work? And he's like, mm, the work? I'm preaching the news. Oh, are you? I thought he'd be more, and yet I've come to realize that he is even more than I ever thought, but it doesn't mean there weren't seasons and places in my life where I didn't see him show up like I thought he would, and it made me frustrated and angsty in my road to here. This is what the whole new series is about. The more we also desperately desire that only Jesus can be, and the theories of more the world uses to try and replace him. That's what we're gonna do for the next six, seven weeks. I'll be here next week as we continue in it and I'd love for you to come. Try coming to a whole series, even if you have to listen to it because you have to work. Try, just, just offer up your theories and then let's see what the Bible says and then evaluate at the end. Moms, you should, you should ask your kids to be here if they really love you for the next eight weeks. So <laughs> you should just stretch that shame-based leadership as far as you can. Easter at our house goes for the entire next two months. Right, that's all you gotta do. It'll be good, it'll be fine. <laughs> Bunch of adult sons in here, very frustrated with me right now. You see, too often we have been taught that God's love must be earned, that it's the pious and spiritually profound who have the attention of the Almighty, but that is not what we see here in this meeting. We see Jesus going after people who have left him, who are doubting him and who have minimized him. As the story continues, we see these two ex-followers of Jesus continue to share their disappointment in Jesus to Jesus. This is called prayer, by the way. That's what that is. Those of you who are like, I just want a strong prayer life, that's what it looks like. You generally can start by complaining. The, the best thing many, many of us know about God, or for some of us, the only thing we know about God is all the ways he's let us down, so you might as well just start there. Like, you're an expert at all the ways God has let you down. So why don't you just start there? This is what these people are doing. Jesus creates space for them. I think they start walking again. Jesus says, really? You thought he would have been the one? Yeah, we thought he would have redeemed Israel. Okay, what happened? So they continue on. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And clearly that was enough for them to leave. There had to have been some sort of tension or discussion in the room when these two decided to leave the whole other party when they were like, hey, we're just... We're just gonna go home. The other 11 and the women are like, no, you don't understand. He's maybe not in the tomb. Maybe there's still more to the movement. And they're like, no, we're just, we're gonna go back to what we know, to where it's safe. We're gonna try to go and build some sort of life out of this whole mess. And so they leave. At this point with these two, Jesus decides to kind of lovingly convict them. And then he gives them just a very small mini Bible study. Verse 25 says, and he said to them, oh, foolish ones, 
and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. They say to Jesus, we wish that God was more. They say, we wish he would have, he would have done something different. And then he says, awesome, that sounds great. Uh, do you want to have a quick Bible study while we walk? Which is the thing that everybody wants to do, right? When they're searching for a God that doesn't exist. And here's what's so profound about the study. It doesn't say that they actually bought any of it. It doesn't say that they were like, well, thank you, Jesus, a creator and writer and director and perfect teacher of the scriptures. We get it now. So for those of us in the room who are discouraged, because the level of impact we think we're having in the world, uh, even with our Bible studies or our churches or whatever else, it isn't going how you thought and you think you can get better at it and have a more greater impact. This clearly is an example, once again, of how Jesus, probably pretty good at teaching the Bible, has a captured audience. They can't go anywhere as he follows them to their hometown away from the movement that he literally is at the center of. And it still doesn't say that it turned their hearts. So chill, relax. You keep loving people. You keep reading. You keep praying. You keep studying. And let God bring people that he brings. It's not on us. This isn't on me. This is his church. He's the lead pastor, he's the driver, and he will bring the people he wants. And by the way, he brought all of you, every single one of you, your steps were orchestrated to be here today. And every single person in this room, you were specifically prayed for to be here today. Ha, God gotcha. <laughs> and he's gonna keep getting you because he loves you. And then you're gonna be like, well, I'll take a different road. And God's like, ooh, a different road. <laughs> and then I might get into an awkward argument because socially God would know not to interrupt my smack life. Yeah, no, he don't care. He doesn't mind being in your story and the mess of it. What he wants, as a matter of fact, is to travel with you like he's traveling with these people and hear your honest convictions about this way that you live, the way the world lives, and how it's all just not working out like you thought. He shows them he walks with them. They don't listen until eventually they get near their house. I like this little passage, verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were growing further. So they get to Emmaus, finally, the place they wanted to be, by the way, not the place Jesus wanted to be or wanted them to be, but he goes all the way there anyways. They get to the village and Jesus says to them, it was great chatting with you guys. I hope you had a, a good talk. Sounds like, you know, maybe you have some stuff to argue out. I don't know. Hope the passages I read to you were encouraging. Uh, great traveling with you. And he starts to step away. And then they look at each other and something inside their heart stirs. Like my prayer has been all week for you that something in your heart in this service stirs. Because this is something you have to know. God might interrupt your fighty marriage. God might interrupt your story. God might orchestrate everything for you to come to a service to hear something custom from the Holy Spirit just for you, but he will not force his way into your heart. You have to decide that these urges you feel, this stirring you feel is valid, and he will move along. Now, he's still going to stay with you. God has that ability to be in multiple places at once, as in all places at once, 
But the manifestation and the opportunity sometimes are more clear than at other times, like in a service like this. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. He acts like he's going to go further. And then they make a choice. Verse 29, but they urged him strongly, saying, no, 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 stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And then listen what happens. They begin to prepare a meal. This would take a couple hours probably. They would begin to eat. They'd begin to talk. And then it says when he was at table with them, when he was in community with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it. And then he gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. I know. (laughs) He's rude into the story and he's rude out of the story. He's like, done. In reality, what it was was Jesus connecting with their hearts. It was him reposturing their road to here. It was them seeing that Jesus had been with them the whole way. It was them looking back at different uh, signs within that road and seeing Jesus moving with them. And then they knew that they knew that he was who he said they were. They, he, you know what I meant exactly, right? <laughs> And when he looked into their eyes, right? When he looked into their eyes, they were like, it's you. And he was like, it's me. They probably looked at each other and that's when Jesus was like, and I'm out. (laughs) It says then instantly they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures. And then I love this phrasing. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They left basically late in the evening to travel all the way back to where they had come from. See, this is how Jesus impacts people. It's within this beautiful conclusion. After they had poured out all their hearts and been honest about the road that they were on, that they decided to sit with Jesus and experience his presence. And that in and of itself changes their direction. In this room, with so many different stories from so many different spaces, some of us have just been walking down this road to Emmaus with Jesus and not actually following any of our urges to to break bread with him or be in community with him, and yet Jesus keeps following you to this place that you want to go that isn't the best for you. It's not where you're supposed to be, but isn't it profound that Jesus continues to follow anyways? that he continues to go with you. And so today, what's so important is that you have to realize there might be some stirrings in your heart that you need to respond to because that's gonna be when the difference is actually made, not just walking on the road. For the non-believers in the room, you've tried the whole higher power thing and it just didn't work. It brought some peace early on and, and it has some really good structure to it, but If you're really honest, in the middle of the night when you're staring at your ceiling, it's not relational. It just doesn't meet the needs you have. And so with great sadness, you might even ask yourself, is this even real? Allow me to remind you that Jesus doesn't require you to change a thing about your emotional posture or even recognize who he is to travel alongside you. You do not have to perform for God to love you. He is walking with you and he always has been. And he is especially making himself known, I believe, right now. 
And he will willingly meet you where you are as you are. For the believers in the room, you're actually a harder crowd on Easter because you've come with all your boxes to get checked and a lot of times I get the emails that I missed a box or two and I always appreciate those emails. Please send them, they encourage me so much. (laughs) But allow me just to confess, I don't care. And I don't care because I'm where you're at in some areas of my life that it's okay to confess that you thought Jesus would be more and that you might think like I have sometimes, what am I supposed to do now? The church has disappointed me. The the songs have disappointed me. The messages have disappointed me. I'm just overall disappointed in this whole thing that is called the bride of God, so therefore I'm clearly disappointed in God, and yet I know there is a God, so what am I supposed to do with that tension now? That is a human space to be. Please know, the more you so desperately desire, the answer to that question only Jesus can bring. Period. The one you're frustrated with. The one you're, you're upset about. The, the one that, that you love so much, but that, that his people, they're just so weird all the time. It is him and what he's building that provides the answers to that. See, here's a beautiful thing as Christians that I, hope, I wish we could realize, especially those of us who've been walking a long time. This right here, this whole thing that we're doing, this is all for God. It's not for you. It is all for him. We bring glory to him. We talk about him. We love each other for him. We bring in people outside for him. We ask him to do the work and him to bring the power and him to offer the transformation. And so you might as well just start off with your disappointment in him. I said it earlier, he knows anyhow. As Christians, if we could do that more, I think we could have more dining with him, more breaking of bread with him, more communion with him. We could have our hearts stirred more with him. And then do you know what it would mean? It would mean that we would leave our beautifully well-lit, perfectly manicured spiritual lives and we'd head back to where we were originally found in the city of dysfunction and it would require a little bit of dark walking. It's what it is and that's why you stay in Emmaus. It's your home. It's where you're comfy. Everybody knows you. And they think you're kind of important. Back in Jerusalem, it's a hot mess. And there's a dead God there. And yet he's walking with you on the road to here, asking you to come back, to see him alive, to share his message. And he wants you to be a part of it. Speaking to both those who believe and those who do not, Allow me to say that Jesus isn't dismayed by the direction you try to keep living your life. The entire time these wayward disciples shared with Jesus their feelings and frustrations, they were headed in the wrong direction for the whole seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, the whole time. So stop excusing yourself by disqualifying the love of God in your life and on your life by the fact that you keep living opposed to God. He can love you bigger than your opposition, and he does. And your somber spirit, and your your critical mind, and the way you can see through all the smoke and mirrors of my incredible articulation. 
doesn't really matter that much. Because Jesus is where you are already, and he's already where you're going to be. Jesus has already arrived where you think the end goal is, and he's already prepared to receive you and turn you around to send you back where you know he wants you to go. But he will not force his way into your heart. The stirring that he's doing right now, that is the offer. He will move along until mom drags you back here next Easter to come and face me again. (laughs) But far more importantly, come and see and experience the stirring, I hope, in your heart of being a created being meeting the great creator. Your job, believer, non-believer, everywhere on the spectrum, is to respond to the stirring, is to be honest about the angst, or about the devotion, or about the worship, or about the concern, or about the, ah, what if I get let down again? I don't know all the things that have hurt you. What I do know is that God does, that he's walked with you the wrong direction for every single mile and every single step you've been living that direction, that he's already where you think you wanna be, that he loves you, that he wants to meet with you, that he wants to forgive you, that he wants to be in relationship with you, And that there is more to this life than this world that you're building, if you're really honest, since nobody's got masks, for you. You see, I have the really special privilege of sitting with people at the end of their lives. And I'm just here to tell you, I sit with believers, I sit with non-believers. Just about everybody asks the same two questions, generally just in different ways. One, did I love people in my life well? And what happens next? Believers and non-believers. Believers have a whole other glow about them because they know. Non-believers, a lot of the times, it's just darkness and sadness. And it is hope that we pray with them as they realize they built a life upon themselves. Jesus will still receive their prayers. Jesus will still meet them there, but it's not the life they could have lived. What if you and I could live the lives we're supposed to live now? What if you could respond to that stirring now? What kind of husband would that make you? Wife would that make you? Boss? Employee? Friend? What kind of human being would that make you? And then what if we could give that all away to other people who are also on their roads to here? If we could do that, then this road to Emmaus would be our road. And we would be fellow travelers with a God who knows exactly what he's doing and who loves you more than you could possibly understand. I want to give you a chance to respond to that stirring, so I'm going to have your heads bowed, if you don't mind, and your eyes closed. If you are a non-believer and you feel in your heart that you, you want to respond to this stirring, You can pray this very simple, not magical prayer, but very human prayer, and it can just start off like this, just in your heart, in your mind. Just say, God, it's me. I'm responding to the feeling that I have right now. I don't know what it is, but I know it's meeting me on my road to here. 
God, you know my frustration, you know my argument, you know my concern with even the idea of becoming a a follower of you. But I also know, Lord, I need more. And so I'm gonna ask you to receive my story. Just how it is, just where I am. I'm gonna ask you through the through your death on the cross to forgive the things in my life that I've held more important than you. Thank you for for loving me in spite of all this. Please lead me to what's next. Please dine with me. I want to be in community. I want to be a friend to you. For the believers in the room, for those who've been following maybe apathetically or religiously just going through the motions, maybe you can pray a similar prayer as well. Maybe it's something like, God, it's me again. It's another year and another Easter. And God, thank you for not being disappointed in me. I'm not where I wanna be spiritually or maybe emotionally, but I know you've never left me. I know you walk every single mile with me even when I head completely the wrong direction. Lord, there's some areas that I've held against you, some areas that I I feel like in my darkest times I blame on you, areas that I feel like maybe you let me down. God, will you sit with me in those spaces? Will you rest with me there? Will you bring wholeness to me? Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. For the things in my world that you and I both know about. Thank you. Thank you for who you are and the way that you love me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this space. We thank you for the stirring that you have caused across this room from front to back, top to bottom. We use it now, Lord, to bring you glory, to bring you praise. We take some time to just praise you from this road that we're on, this road to here. We love you, God. And everybody said, amen.
his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb, the entrance Thy heavy storm, Messiah still, and all Gaze transfixed on Jesus. 